He won Journalist of the Year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? She's a broadcast professional who's got pop culture by the throat, and she won't let go. Crank up the radio. Run for your lives, everyone. This is not a drill. She's broadcast pro Mickey White. This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by the Pixar Parental Layaway Plan. At Pixar, we take our role very seriously. We know we're the single most powerful influence in your child's life, more, much more than you. And we know that our merchandising is ubiquitous and expensive. <clears throat> That's why it's probably easiest for parents like you to sign up for our automatic layaway plan so that 40% of your after-tax income will automatically be transferred to Pixar to ensure your children get all of the merchandise that we've decided they absolutely need. It's the easiest way to minimize utterly insufferable whining in your life. Remember, at Pixar, we're not just creating your happy family memories. We're monetizing them. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And J- Mickey, it's been an utterly horrible, depressing week. I've yearned, oh, if only I had something fun, something happy, something cheery, like a puppy to play with. I find <laughs> myself needing a pup date right now. Uh, how, how is life between you and Mr. Bias and Shiloh? Oh, well, first of all, uh, thanks and welcome everybody to the show. We do have a fantastic show for you today that I promise will cheer you up in some way, um, even if it means you end up yelling at me um, on my birthday week, P.S., by the way. Um, so please do keep the hate mail t- directed at you know, Jim and Dave for my birthday. Um, that was but- Thank you. You like that? On my birthday, I said it three times just to make sure everybody got it. Um, but my best birthday present this year has already arrived and of course that is Shiloh and now he is a you know he's been home about a week and we're getting into active puppy stage Mm. um so yeah so you know we had to create more boundaries for him and I got really creative and uh set up little barriers so that he can't get out of the sunken living room which just a few days ago he thought he could not get out of and now he's you know standing on top of his crate so, um, yeah, that's a big change. It's explained to me that it's similar to bringing home an infant, as we've discussed. Um, and Mr. Bias has joked that his middle name isn't Carnegie, it's Kardashian. <laughs> because, I, from the description, I was, I was guessing Houdini, but uh, why, why is it Kardashian? Because I take pictures of everything he does, and I ah. also take video, and I post them online. But, you know, the majority of my family is in Pennsylvania, so... By posting those online, I'm actually getting to take advantage of the, quote, social media thing that people normally do when they have kids. Okay. Don't forget, uh, if you want to take pictures of, uh, of Mr. Biased, you need to take them from a height so that it makes his boobs bigger and his butt smaller. Don't forget that. <laughs> yeah. He's not exactly into selfies. In fact, he's one of the people that, in my life, there are several, but he is one of the people in my life that he no longer gets to, like, approve or disprove any pictures. They get posted because I go to take a picture and I'm posing all nice and I think it's going to be a great picture and I look at it and he's making some goofy ass face. For the sake and, of uh, of functional and continuity in family operations, I think women always withhold that right and men never manage to withhold that right. No, he, he lost that right whenever he started making goofy ass faces in my picture. <laughs> and if I look good in the picture and he's rolling his eyes and has his tongue out the side of his mouth, this is not my fault. You know, 
that is so kind of what they posted. That is what cropping was made for. Uh, you just simply ah. <laughs> delete him from the picture. <laughs> now, Mickey, I, I have enough. I, I don't feel like it's enough public shame. Like I feel like if he's going to make those faces, then public shaming is okay. Mm. Now, I have just enough memory of pre-parental life uh, to recognize that, you know, oh, how's your child? Oh, great. And then you show someone, you know, it used to be the old joke. They'd have pictures in their wallet and it would, you know, unfold like a Playboy centerfold. It would just be, you know, oh, here's 20 pictures of my child and I got to show you all of them. Now with phones, you can, you know, you're much, you, you can show them hundreds of pictures of your child, thousands of pictures. So I, I've come to the conclusion. Yes. So that when coworkers or people who haven't seen me in a while say, "Oh, how's how are your sons?" I'll say, "Oh, they're doing great," and and I will leave it there. But if they say, "Oh, how are they growing big?" You know, if, if they if they inquire further, then I'm I'm you know they basically are, are saying to me, "If you'd like to take twenty minutes out of my life and show me every picture on your phone of how adorable your children are and what they're doing lately and how big they're getting, then I feel entitled." So basically, it's not the initial inquiry. But any follow-up, I do believe, is an invitation for me to use up as much, as much of your life as I feel possible to show off my, my stunning progeny. Yes, and I feel the same way about Shiloh. <laughs> as, as you guys have probably seen some of the videos I've posted of him and some of the pictures I've posted of him um, doing his little obstacle course, which he adores. He's outgrown in the little chair that he originally started using for this already. So Mr. Bias is building him an obstacle course in the backyard. See, I'm ridiculous. I'm talking about the dog again. It's like I can't stop myself. And I also wonder if there is a thing called puppy brain, which is similar to like the mommy brain (laughs) that women have. Because I swear to God, like not only am I talking about the dog to like anyone who will listen and people who don't care. Like I'm on the phone, you know, trying to order dinner last night and I proceed to tell her about Shiloh's walk and it seems really (laughs) off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. man, but what toppings do you want on the pizza? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, again, I'm not really sure how that comes along, but um I, I I am enjoying him so much and I love him so much. And I have to tell you, our listeners, my readers, um and and fans have been fantastic about giving me helpful tips. And I really do appreciate that because, you know, when you've got a whiny little puppy with who is teething right now, mm. um, it is certainly helpful. And especially when he's growing like a pound a day. Wow. Right, so how many pounds is he now? Um, I'm not sure. I, have, I wouldn't say he's actually growing a pound a day, but probably a pound every three days. You know, I, I, I mean, I do know that puppies can grow super duper fast and, you know. Oh, yeah, he's getting so big. Like, you can look at the pictures that I took from a week ago and compare them to what I took, you know, this morning. Because, of course, like I said, still taking pictures and videos all the time. And you can see the significant difference. When he came home um, just last week, he was able to, you know, obviously be very comfortable in the large crate that we had for him, et cetera. And as I said earlier, he's now able to stand on top of it. Mm-hmm. He can get himself on top of it, so... Okay. Has he uh, now? We're getting into the summer months. Has Shiloh encountered water yet? Yes, and he is a fan. Um, we we got out the garden hose for him to play with a little bit, and he liked that. Um, I do plan on giving him swimming lessons um, in the pool. However, I do not plan on allowing him to swim all the way to Alcatraz and back. 
my, what an unusual segue, Mickey. Um, by any chance, so I, I this is I assume in reference to the was it a toddler swimming across? It seemed like some unbelievably young kid managed to go from I'm assuming the shores of San Francisco to Alcatraz, or was it? Uh, yeah, he was like eight or nine, <laughs> and he swam to Alcatraz and back. Now, as a swimmer, the distance itself. I'm not surprised. If he's a trained swimmer, that's no big deal. The idea that some kid got in his head that he was going to swim to Alcatraz and back is ludicrous. You know damn well the parents were involved with this because they tried to pitch it like, oh, this was his dream. Bullshit. <laughs> it's, meanwhile, it's some dad yelling at his son, you're going to be Michael Phelps. Yes, and not only that, the dad is in a, the dad kayaked alongside of him and apparently had offered a $100 reward initially. And when the kid got tired halfway through, the dad upped the reward to 200 bucks. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is not championship. Happy parenting. Father's Day, Jim. Oh, man. Okay, so you want to talk about the, the great – okay, so here we are enjoying our um, our, our goofy conversation. Do you remember a couple of years ago, Mickey, I must say it was like the mid-90s, there was some like really young girl who was flying a plane and there was a plane crash and she died and the, the parent died and it was this, I, I remember this. Well, like, was, yeah, because, because everyone was like, why did the parents let her ride the airplane or whatever? And, and the idea was, you know, like they wanted to set the record for the youngest pilot to fly across the country and because of the obvious glaring dangers um, mm-hmm. of a having a child at the controls of an airplane. Like, we don't allow you to get a driver's license. It's not clear why we would let you have a pilot's license. Um, that their Guinness Book of World Records stop recording this. And they stop saying, no, no, we don't want somebody putting toddlers at control of a uh, major piece of machinery or something. But obviously because, oh, look, you know, little, little Petunia managed to fly a plane um, because of the media attention and all that kind of stuff. This became, like, it was a trend of these, you know, Kind of like the Mama Rose from Gypsy stage mothers or stage fathers in some cases, and they, I remember they even had like uh, the people who pretended that their kid was missing. Yeah. Oh, oh, uh, Bubble Boy or or the the kid, the, the Balloon Boy. You know, the kid in the yeah. basement, whatever the hell. Like, parents are not right. <laughs> like, we blame kids for doing things, but in reality, we've got a generation of parents that really i think it started with our generation where the parents live vicariously through their children uh-huh. and now with the rise of social media and certainly the ability to just take a video of something and suddenly you're famous we've got some really crazy crazy parents trying to live through their kids yeah and it really is i remember the it was a, the weekly standard somebody had this uh this headline cuz like remember they had like little hats or or t-shirts made up for the girls saying girls fly and the headline right. was, no, girls don't fly. Girls get to play with, you know, get to play in the yard and play with dolls and live their lives and be kids and right. not imitate, you know, grown-up events. And it was kind of this uh, uh, horrible thing. Like, I'm glad the kid did okay getting to Alcatraz. The fact that he was able to swim back, Mickey, like, wasn't that space, place supposed to be inescapable? Yes, and shark infested. Yeah. <laughs> so I think this kind of disproves the theory that the two guys who escaped didn't make it out. Bull. Um, I have always believed they made it out. And now I feel like this little child has confirmed that theory for me. Um, in addition to that, like I said, I'm not surprised that he's able to swim that distance at that age if he has been in training. Because, again, as a swimmer, that's what you do. 
it was a little shocking to see the dad was encouraging him to break the world record. Um, and again, you know, 200 bucks, this kid's going to make more than 200 bucks off the sponsorships. And so is the dad and he knows it. Okay, wait. If, um, if you're so Speedo, do you want your eight or nine year old kid as your as doing endorsements as, as to sponsor this kid? Uh, yeah. All right. There are eight or nine year old kids swimming all over the country right now for titles. So yeah. Yeah, I guess it'd be you're associated with you know like insane parenting and such like that. It wouldn't be a brand Look, I would go for. Don't talk about my family like that. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey's already closing the deal for this kid. So. <laughs> yes, I'm already shutting down the door and closing the deal. And we're going to talk about what you are really telling your office mates next. So, baby, if you want the girl next door, go next door and go right now. And don't look back, don't turn around, and don't call me when you get bored. Yeah, if you want the girl next door, then go. Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball. God, what in the hell's diversity? Well, I, I could be wrong, but I believe uh, diversity is an old, old wooden ship that was used during the Civil War. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Mickey White, along with my co-host, Jim Garrity, and... We were just getting into a topic that has come up on T-Jams many times, which is, of course, the Fitbit. Now, you all know that I personally have no interest in a Fitbit buddy or Fitbit flirting or Fitbit telling me, you know, when I need to get up or what I've done or where I'm being tracked to or all those things. However, they're exceptionally popular and our very own Jim Garrity is a Fitbit fan. Now... You've been using the Fitbit for a while. Seems to work for you. Had you ever thought of doing what we're about to talk about now? <laughs> the infamous Fitbit cheating. Yes. Yeah, so first of all, um, if I am in the so the the standard uh, setting for these things, you know, you wear them on the wrist and it measures your uh, uh, it, with the the arm motions and such. You, you it measures how many steps you take in a day. Um, if I'm at 9,000 and, and you know, 10,000 is what they recommend for a typical person in a typical day. Uh, a lot of people will put on the one and it's like, oh my goodness, that's, you know, that, that, that's, I'm doing a lot less than this. You know, if I have a particularly sedentary day, uh, I'll be in that 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 range and not feel very good about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm at like 9,000 by the end of the day, you will see me walking around the house in circles. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'll go to this living room, walk in a circle, over to the dining room, walk in a circle. Um, just, you know, doing that just to hit that 10,000. Because when you do it, it kind of flashes a little bit. And it's, it's a little, I call it a little mini fireworks display of satisfaction. Oh, good. you achieved <laughs> right. um, Now, here's the thing. But I, but I don't connect to anyone. I've had a couple friends say, oh, I want to connect. No, no, no. You don't, get to, you don't get to know what days I've been lazy. All right? I try to hide that from the world. If I have a lot, then I'll share that. Um, but uh, I was really Wall Street my issue with the whole Fitbit is it's not about just keeping track of you, is it? It's a competition. You're in competition with every other person in the world that has a Fitbit. Because I've seen y'all. I have seen you get together with other <laughs> Fitbitters. So what's and your daily record? No stats and whatnot. And, and as we've discussed on the show, there's that whole Fitbit buddy thing, which I just think is the weirdest form of flirting that I have ever seen in my life. But you do... And are always competing. 
And in some cases, apparently, some offices have taken it to the point of actually making it a thing. Um, where, you know, as part of their getting fit program, they have had a Fitbit challenge going on. And apparently now, you can go terribly Jim, wrong. <laughs> so Dan, you know, Wall Street Journal uh, last week is you know, writing about this phenomenon. Dan Adams, a sales executive from Ogden, Utah, entered a friendly contest with two coworkers to see who could take the most steps in a week. With five hours to go, he was trailing. So Mr. Adams taped his Fitbit activity tracker to the blade of an electric saw and left it vibrating on a workbench. When he returned early the next morning, he saw his vibrations had registered 57,000 steps, which is like (coughs) close to six days for a normal person. This this is the one I love, Mickey. Mr. Adams, a self-described gadget junkie, swore it was a one-time move. This is the only time I've ever mechanically enhanced my steps on Fitbit, he said. There's a lesson to be taken here, Mickey. Never bet Dan Adams on anything. Yes. I, I would suggest that that is a good good rule. Um, I would also suggest that, you know, maybe, just maybe, the Fitbit technology is not quite exactly what it seems to be. Well, because it's based on motion. Um, you, you know, and it's you're tuned to be like I said. As you're walking, you move your arm, you know, back and forth, and that counts the the steps. Um, this Wall Street Journal article describes it being attached to a hamster wheel. Uh, <laughs> a uh, so here's the, the next thing is you know so okay so basically people are getting Fitbits and then they're rigging them yes so that they look like they're working out so yeah. they can show their friends their stats but can't their friends still see their ass. Yeah, gets be- it gets better. Here we go. So Delta Airlines, right, had had you know challenge for all eighty thousand employees worldwide. <clears throat> so you can either use a digital step tracker or enter them manually into an app. So at the end of the challenge last year, an employee rocketed up the leaderboard overnight. The employee had logged by hand all at once the equivalent of thirty one miles of steps a day for forty two consecutive days. The company <laughs> thought that seemed unlikely. Now I'm gonna go down there. I wanna say like my top day was in the neighborhood of like uh, let's say twenty three thousand, twenty four thousand steps, and it's roughly about two thousand steps a mile. So let's say, you know, eleven miles, twelve miles on vacation, we're walking around a city like crazy. So so this person is doing three times that every day for 40. You know, that's like – isn't a uh, – Not unless he's running a marathon every day. Yeah, I was going to say it's basically a marathon a day for more than a month. Well, and the whole idea of this is not theoretically to be a competition, although it's obviously turned into a nationwide competition. Um, but it's supposed to be to make you more cognizant, more aware of your activity, because I know some of them you can actually, you know, program your calories and things like that as well. So, and, you know, monitors your heart, monitors your breathing. It can be a very healthy tool if used properly. Um, one of the things I came across as we were looking into this was another story about dieting that I thought, you know what, the fit bitters would love this diet. The diet is called the intuitive diet. Mm-hmm. And Jim, you eat what you feel like. Um, what doesn't that mean I've been dieting my entire life? You, <laughs> you, need, you eat it. So if That's you're craving, diet. you know, a double whopper with cheese and bacon and a large fry and a supersized Coke, you should get that. Surprisingly, 
it does not appear to work for most people. <laughs> that would be what I would call intuitive about the intuitive diet. <laughs> Mickey, I, here, okay, here's interesting. How do you know when, you're, when you've stopped being on the intuitive diet? I'm not sure how you know when you start. <laughs> so it, when you, I don't have a craving for this, but I'm going to eat it anyway, I guess would be the anti-intuitive diet. Right? I, I don't know. And, and again, I'm reading it. And even the posts when covering it, um, they were not flattering to say the least, um, and suggested that it really maybe wasn't what should be called a diet, but instead just eating what you want. Yeah, because doesn't diet imply... I don't know, limitation of some kind? You know. Of some kind? Yes. I mean, theoretically, you can, you have a, you know, either you can have a vegan diet, so it could be technically a noun, right? Um, but usually it involves being restrictive. Huh. And the idea of I'm sitting here thinking right this very second, I, I would love a root beer float. And then I would just go eat it. That's a hell of a diet. What I'm saying. <laughs> you know, uh, this big diet like back in the day. Yeah. Now here's the. I, this sounds like I, I remember the cabbage soup diet. That was much, much worse. That's the counterintuitive I, diet. Yeah, I was gonna say I do remember hearing some arguments saying, "Look, if you have an enormous craving for a particular type of food, it could be your body telling you, hey." We need more protein, or hey, we need some more a particular vitamin. It's sometimes cravings for food uh, beyond you know sugary sweets and stuff like that. Generally, that there there might be something behind that. Um, might be your body trying to tell you something. This sounds like taking that. You know, that. you know, you know, I can only go like two days, and if I haven't had some solid steak, red meat, I lose my mind. There you go, and it's probably your body saying mm, more iron or something like that. This Marvel. sounds like that taken to its, you know, <laughs> beyond any recognizable limit. Um, if we're gonna, if we're gonna denounce, actually, here's the thing. So, is, is, this is basically hedonism as a diet. <laughs> this is basically if it feels good, do it uh, as a as a dietary choice. Normal people, yes. I mean, I'm guessing there probably are people out there who, just like you said, could use this constructively and say. Oh, my body is craving iron or my body is craving calcium. But when you read, it's an intuitive diet where you listen to your body's cravings and give it what it wants. The majority of people are not thinking, oh, I need to uptake my input of iron. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, a, yay, cupcakes, you know. Right, exactly. Like, oh, you know what I'm feeling like right now? A Danish. There you go. <laughs> um that, that this strikes me. You know, here's the so I, I guess in both of these um, uh, stories, it's kind of like we, we have this very contradictory impulse in, in American culture right now because we really want to be healthy. We see posters of healthy people. We see people running around. Like you know, we, the movie stars are always showing off their six packs and their toned calves. Be healthy. We wish that we just looked better. Yeah. But we aren't really willing to do it, which is why we want a diet that lets us eat anything we want, unlimited amounts. That's the other thing. I've heard people saying, look, as long as you eat whatever you want, but you eat it and you know, you're taking in fewer calories than you're expending, you know, than you're, you're using each day, you're still going to lose weight. You're still going to look fine. You know, everything in moderation. I've heard that argument. I, I have a very hard time figuring out moderation. <laughs> my, my stomach's idea of moderation and actual moderation. Never outwork your fork. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
That is that is a, a piece of advice that I got years ago um, and was re-upped again to me with a friend of mine signed up for Weight Watchers and their point system. Um, something that actually is, is a fairly decent program about getting healthy and focusing on your eating and things like that is you can never outwork your fork. And there's some truth to that. But in this particular diet, that's not part of the da- the game. And maybe if they had a Fitbit on and they attached it to, I don't know, if you, I, I can't say something that vibrates at all on the show anymore. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to go with something that moves at a very high rate of speed is attached to the Fitbit. These dieters could be, you know, just kicking ass and taking names at all of their little gatherings. So, all right, so this goes very well with the new Naked Eatery they opened over in London, Mickey. Um, what if you, like, attach the end of a fork to a weight? <laughs> and thus, you're doing kind of bicep curls as you're eating because you have to lift it and you're twisting, you know. Kind of, anyway, so th- there's one possibility for that. Alternately, I'm just thinking back to those contest winners, the guy who said he did 57,000 steps in a night. Like, as you pointed out, his butt is still the same size it was. Before he did right. it, like, yeah, you can cheat other people into the contest, but if you're saying, "Oh yeah, I run a marathon every day," and you don't, at some point, people are going to say, "Hey, you know, I, I don't, I just don't believe you." Yeah, <laughs> not like, buying. You do not hear like you have run a marathon. I'd like to yeah. see you run one right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of on the spot judging. Oh, you do so many steps a day. Let's see it. You can fudge your your thing. Oh, here's the other thing is that you know. So I, I, I okay. You can talk about cheating the Fitbit. My mm-hmm. most frustrating moments in life generally come waiting at the you know waiting in traffic, waiting at the traffic light, and my thing is on my wrist. And I've thought about if I shake the wrist back and forth a couple of times, <laughs> or if I wave to people with my left hand, does that do enough of a of a, of a motion gesture to get the uh, uh, to get the Fitbit to count it as steps? Because it'll count it if you run in place. Mm-hmm. It'll count it if you – you can keep your arms flat at your sides, but it, somehow it still figures out that you're moving okay. if you walk around with all that kind of stuff. So I, I think it's actually magic. So I think I, if you ooh. drive on bumpy roads, that should be good enough. You shouldn't have to do anything with your arm because that's, that's exercise, right? Shaking your arm. Who needs that? There's some sort and, of shake weight joke in there. You, thank you, God, for Dave once again because when Jim went down the path of sitting at a light flicking his wrist <laughs> – that was not necessarily where my brain went. That yeah, could be uh, could be taken badly by the thugs and the lowrider next to you. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't don't lock eyes with them, or then you will be running, brother. You will be running. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, I um I, I I commend those of you who are you know trying to lose weight, and I am as well. I'm constantly on a diet that is not anything that I have anything to do with. It's just what my doctor makes me eat. And so I feel for you. Um, I do try to work out every day, but I can't do a Fitbit because it freaks me out. Um, I, I know, right? Like for someone who is so comfortable like with sharing everything in her life, the one thing I have no interest in is like knowing what my body is doing. I don't want to know. Like, I, I don't want to know how many steps I've taken. I kind of know pretty much how many, you know, like if I've walked so many miles or I've done a certain workout, then, you know, whatever. But it is it is definitely not something that I could share. Let's just put it that way. I'm not a, I'm not a big sharer. <laughs> um, coming up in the next segment, we are going to talk about a family that shares a lot. The Kardashian segment coming up as a special gift from Jim for my birthday. <laughs> 
And please don't make the super suit green. Or animate it. You from KTEL Records. 22 explosive hits. 22 original stars. Gallery. Oh, it's so nice to be with you. The great Sammy Davis Jr. Who the candy man can. Liver snaps traits are made with real liver. And dogs love them. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And on this program, we've spent a lot of time making fun of Gwyneth Paltrow and her seemingly endless helpful tips of how we can live a happy life as long as we're as rich as she is, as famous as she is, and as privileged as she is. But we've decided to take a break from that this week. No, we're going to turn to another humble role model for all of us, Kim Kardashian. Mickey, what's, <laughs> what's new in the world of the Kardashians? Well, first of all, I'd like to let the listeners know that when I did the um, segment last year for the I Am Kate and what was happening when Bruce Jenner became Caitlyn Jenner was the first time that I had ever watched their show, Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Since then, I have found myself slowly watching them more and more. And in fact, I did a little self-imposed keeping up with the Kardashians marathon um, over the last several days as I've been puppy sitting and whatnot. And I find myself wanting to go back and find the earlier episodes and watch them as well. Because I know you're Kardashians. The classic. Yeah. um, Because I know that they're going to feel like family videos of my own family (laughs) um, simply because as I've explained to Mr. Bias, no longer are just my friends on television. Now my family is as well. Because every time they get together, one of the things they say is, you know, family is everything. Um, appropriate, we're talking about the Kardashians on Father's Day. Their father, Robert Kardashian, uh, not the Jenner, obviously not the Jenner girl's father. Uh, but the actual Kardashian's father um, is someone who is still highly regarded in the home and they still like keep up the Armenian traditions and things that he passed down. Very nice. Um, so basically for Mickey, you're saying that you prefer the car- the old classic Kardashians before they sold out and went commercial. <laughs> no, I haven't actually watched any of those yet because those I apparently have to go and find online somewhere. They're not anywhere on demand or anywhere I've been able to find the early seasons. So um, listeners, you know, I'm sure you guys are all big Kardashian fans. So if one of you knows where I can find all the seasons, I'd be happy to start at season one. And keep up with them until currently because they're fascinating people. And while they, you know, we may not fully understand their ideas or how they live. My God, oh, no one. Oh, can. I think we could understand them. I, I don't think this is, I, you know, this ain't well, Sanskrit. No, it, <laughs> well, it's not Sanskrit and it's not rocket science. But I will say this: in watching them, I do feel like I've, I, I'm, I'm even more impressed with their business acumen than I was before. Okay. Which was pretty darn impressed, as I recall, prior shows here. Yes, and to find out how how much more even hands-on they are in the development of the products, etc. And more importantly, as someone who, you know, we do a lot on social media, um, we do a lot with media in general. The way that they operate and the way that they maintain control of their images and their likeness and their names and even like 
just stupid little things that you would never think of as a normal person, which is where they find ways to keep paparazzi from making money off them from getting the first shot, is they'll take a selfie of each other. And then when they post it, the paparazzi can't sell it. Because there's already a, the existing image is already out there. Huh. Uh, all right. I, I'm not, I don't. See? I'm not quite giving them the Nobel over that. But all right, fine. I'm not giving them the Nobel either, but that's just one of the little, we'll call them life hacks since we talked about this last week. That or I hack have life. Yeah, hack life, whatever. Um, but really, you know, the the things that I've learned from them and people would mock me are things that you would learn in business school. All right. Then let me, let me ping you on a, a question about this that I, I've noticed uh, in my extensive studies of the Kardashians, Mickey. Yeah. So earlier this week, you know, you know first let me emphasize, you know, people know that the Jim and Mickey show is a relatively apolitical podcast. And my aim here is not to get into a, you know, darn that liberal Kim Kardashian uh, discussion here. It's a slightly different observation. Uh, this week, she offered a one tweet in, in support of gun control after the terrible events in Orlando. Uh, I think what I was more intrigued by was she made a trip to uh, Cuba uh, not that long ago. Obviously, it's been reopened for, for you know, expansion of American uh, 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 you know, tourism. And she put out a couple of tweets. Uh, among them, seeing Ernest Hemingway's house in Cuba. Uh, with a picture that was really not of, of Ernest Hemingway's house at all. It's a hot pink, uh, looks like a 57 Chevy or some sort of classic car from the 50s. Her in a ludicrously skin-tight dress. And um, yeah. it's not a house. I'm pretty sure it's not. I'm pretty sure Ernest Hemingway did not live in a hot pink uh, uh, convertible. Well, I think there's a house behind it in the picture. But more importantly, you're There are missing- trees. But go ahead. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Your story. <laughs> yes. Um, actually just backs up what I just said. Because whatever she's doing, she's getting paid for, <laughs> including a tweet. So it, she actually runs Instagram campaigns for people basically by taking one shot with her and their product because she has tens of millions of followers across social media and across the world. And so if she was in Cuba, someone paid to send her there for a photo shoot and someone probably paid for everything that she's doing there and paid her a significant amount of money to do it and then talk about it. Because when she talks about things, people buy them. One of the things we talked about on this show, I mean, like, it was a while ago, but I didn't know this is where it originated, was SoulCycle. And in watching my marathon of keeping up with the Kardashians, I realized that they had been in a soul cycle about, you know, a year and a half before anyone else had even heard of one on their show. And so I get the impression that they set a lot of trends that some people may not even realize where they started. Okay. Um, and maybe she will turn traveling to Cuba into a trend. I also want to point out one, uh, other spectacular picture. I believe they're the they same. They are opening up, as you know, they just opened up commercial air flight. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to bet that maybe the Tourism Bureau of Cuba. That, you know, I would find that. And he would explain things like, quote, um, I love Cuba, one of our best trips. We felt like we stepped back into a different time period. Can't wait to go back. And a picture of a very, you know, that, that once again, that hot pink convertible, a bunch of other old cars and some rundown buildings. And people said, because oh. Because that's how, I mean, like, 
when we romanticize Cuba, which is all I'm going to say about this to keep it non-political, that's how we think about it. And my guess is that that was somehow done to promote tourism in Cuba, whether that was paid for by our government, by the airlines, or by the Cuban government. I could not tell you, but that's just a guess. But she says, we felt like we stepped like, back. Do anything without getting paid. We felt like we stepped back into a different time period. Yes, Kim, that's called poverty. <laughs> when, <laughs> when you're not allowed to import any cars since the 1950s. <laughs> yes, and you can't afford to build any new ones. Yes, it's going to look like you're in a different time period. This is what happens when time stops because the government And I think, let though, it. And I, okay, you're hitting on this with yes, absolutely. You know politically I agree with you. But to keep this non-political, I will say only this. I think that Americans in general, non-politicals, and those that are not as, you know, committed, we'll say, will openly go to Cuba for the idea of going to Old Havana. We are very nostalgic about what we believe Old Havana was like. And I think that, you know, I don't suspect you're going to see a ton of Cuban-Americans making the voyage. Um, But I suspect you're going to see a lot of people, you know, and, and honestly, like myself, that are interested in seeing the country, interested in seeing it, and... There's a part of me that, like, the day it opened up, I was like, great, I can go see Havana. And I gave no thought, by the way, to the Cuban people. And that's bad, but, you know, I also want to visit the Great Wall, so, you know. Hmm. It sounds like we're – this is good foreshadowing for our uh, final segment, which will be about the bucket list. Uh, (laughs) Actually, preview, you know what's on my bucket list, Mickey? What's that? Visiting a free Cuba. Um, there you go. So, yeah, I mean, on the one hand, so my observation was actually not just that uh, Kim Kardashian says stupid things uh, or that she basically kind of goes along with the leftist line. It's much more that, like, it almost seems like pro forma checking the box. Um, oh, that, yeah. that, that it's almost like the interesting thing is, like, in a way, if you want to, you know, uh, praise Kim Kardashian, that she actually doesn't veer into politics that often. Um, that she kind of just, you know, she almost, you know, actually, here's the thing. She's much too self-absorbed to really buy into. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. To be like, used I, that I way. So. Whatever it was, it was just for the money. Like, it, it's not like she studies, you know, Cuban policy or has any idea. And again, <laughs> keep in mind that, you know, her husband's best friend, Jay-Z, has already been there. He was there like a year or so ago, two oh, years yeah. ago. With Beyonce. So, I mean, it's not like we haven't already had some celebrities traveling there. My guess is that they brought in Kim because she is the most famous woman in the world right now, whether people like it or not. And if she goes to Cuba, people are going to report on it. If she tweets, like, I had such a great time in Cuba, reminded me of the old days of whatever, people are like, cool, I want to go. And that's how the world works. And it's not something new to this generation. It's just a new medium of delivering the message. Keep in mind that used to be, you know, Acapulco was the place to go because that's where all the celebrities went. And now you can't go there at all. So, you know. So this is the sort of information that only I would know. Um, (laughs) 
you want to talk about like you know, so we, if we look at Cuba as a once perfect paradise, a, a glamorous playground for celebrities, you know, ruined by a terrible regime. <clears throat> in research for another project, Mickey, you have to hear about the Verosha uh, beach in uh, Cyprus, which was the stretch of land in between Turkish-controlled Cyprus and Greek-controlled Cyprus. That before you know, before the Turks invaded in 1974, this was where Brigitte Bordeaux would would pose in the bikini. Elizabeth <laughs> yeah. Taylor would go there. This was where you know the old Hollywood crowd, when they wanted to hang out in the Med, went to Cyprus and they went to Verosha. Uh, it has been abandoned for the past. Uh, 40 years entirely and is entirely been overtaken by uh, by nature and stuff because it's in a no man's land between Greek and uh, two countries that hate each other. Greece and Turkey. Oh, I lived wow. in Cyprus. I lived in Nicosia when I was about uh, seven or eight years old. I got an early historical primer on the constant never-ending battle between Turks and Greeks. There. Oh, wow. Yeah. That must have been not that long. Not you know, Guessing at your age, that must have been not that long after the conflict, right? That's right. Uh, right when it started. We had to get out of there because of that. And you know where we went? To Beirut, right before the conflict <laughs> started there. <laughs> we had go, brilliant go travel Beirut, instincts. Lebanon, where it's safe. Hey, let's go to Beirut. I am one of the rare young American kids who has heard machine gun fire that is serious and breaking windows in the building where you're standing. I have done that at age seven and at age nine. So, wow. I know I hijacked this, this segment. Show, like, where we just like dissect all the layers of Dave. <laughs> it would be like, it'd be like a week and a half long show. I can feel but, the scalpel again, we could already. Do, like, keeping up with Dave and then we could make lots of money off of it <laughs> because now I've learned how. You know, Dave, you could do like the old young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Yeah. Where like we, we, we hear old Dave tell a story. I remember back in Cyprus in 1974. And then we do and the flashback. Like a, to, young, you know. a young Dave running around, you know, playing in the yard. Suddenly AK-47 comes out. And then Dave, I think, dives, grabs his own and opens fire. Old Dave leans off the porch and yells at young Dave, get off my lawn, you brat. <laughs> <laughs> little time confusion going on there. Is this segment over yet? Because it sure feels like it's over. We will be right back after this, letting you know uh, the happy childhood memories that just can't compare to Dave's with Pixar's new offering right after this. You'll be amazed at who you'll find on Living in the 90s. Hey, we got Living in the 90s, two and a half hours of the coolest songs on two CDs and two cassettes. Check it out. I am Mickey White, along with my co-host, Jim Garrity. And we were just getting into the new Disney Pixar movie coming out, Finding Dory, the long-lost sequel to Finding Nemo that apparently Ellen DeGeneres really wanted, and I'm not sure anyone else did. <laughs> I-, I was going to say, Mickey, um, first of all, have you, run it, have you ever run to anyone who's ever said, oh, I don't like the Pixar films? Uh, not usually, no. Right. I mean, Pixar is pretty close to being as universally beloved, uh, saluted, revered, praised to the heavens. Um, before Hamilton the musical existed, uh, <laughs> Pixar was kind of, you know, that gold, oh, everybody loves it. And, you know, maybe you loved Toy Story, maybe you loved uh, Cars or Ants or Up or, you know, some of them we, we depressed. There, there's a considerable dispute about which ones are the best ones. But, Mickey, have you ever encountered anyone who said, oh, my goodness, Finding Nemo is my favorite Pixar film of all time? 
No. <laughs> However, for no. some reason, and I, I feel the need to mention this, for some reason, I am tied to Nemo. I own a copy of it. So this is how old Nemo is. I own a copy of it on DVD, which means that my stepson watched it when he was young. Okay. And he's not young anymore. Um, I also have an entire box full of little stuffed Nemos mm. and large stuffed Nemos that I'm assuming came from a carnival at some point. This this probably would have been the post Nemo Great Clownfish Massacre <laughs> yes. of of the uh, early aughts. They were everywhere, and apparently <laughs> I now have this. And this is the really weird part. When I got my new TV, the very first thing that I watched on it was Finding Nemo because I wanted to see the colors. So there you go. Not a bad well, test pattern. <laughs> I was going to say. Right. It's not that Finding Nemo is a bad film. And most people would say that if you're in the right mood, uh, James Brooks running around in desperation, it pulls at the heartstrings. As you said, it's a very colorful film. You can tell they definitely did their research on coral reefs and, and you know, everything looks really good. <clears throat> it just, you know, it just kind it's of feels... It's not as funny as Shark Tale was. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it, you know it, it just kind of felt paint by numbers. And the idea of the Dory character... Uh, voiced by Ellen DeGeneres, the joke is that she's forgetful, and mm-hmm. she forgets everything every couple seconds. So the cur- the characters have to repeat themselves and explain things and all that stuff. I guess you could say this is like Kitty Memento, um, <laughs> you know that she has to reset her memory every couple of you minutes. You heard they're remaking that, right? Which I I can't even speak about. What they're remaking Memento? Yes, I, I don't even want to talk about it. It's yes. Jim's turn to be outraged like me at Jungle Book. Yeah, this, this is so, I, you know, Memento is like one of my favorite movies of all time. So I'm a little on the outraged side right now. If if that rumor ends up being true, I am going to be livid pissed. Memento is um, the only movie I've ever seen that. Oh my goodness, that's so that was amazing. Because obviously, and going it's got this, along with that is that you know what makes the Pixar movies so great or the majority of them so great is the originality. And so when they do a sequel, they automatically are behind the eight ball out the gate. Bingo. You, you, you put it very well. Cause look, they've made it. You know, here's the thing to their credit. Pixar has made toy story two and in particular toy story three are, are considered by some folks among the best sequels of all time. <clears throat> Certainly number three seemed to hit that really just resonant emotional notes and a, and a nice little kind of farewell to yeah. the characters. Cars 2, um, my boys loved it, sold a bazillion dollars in merchandise, but I think most people felt like it was kind of derivative and didn't really have the same heart. Because that, that was, it was the heart of the Pixar movies that always seemed to uh, make it better than your standard animated fare. Uh, you know, and so there was a trailer for Finding Nemo a few weeks ago, and my boys were like, eh, okay. But everybody's kind of eh about this, and it's very Finding weird. Story. Yeah, to see, uh, to to see. Well, you said Finding Nemo, and it's called Finding Dory, which I think is part of the problem. Yeah. Um, I also think that part of the problem is that the character Dory was cute in Nemo because she was a side character. Yeah. And I feel like the character annoyed me, so I don't care if she gets home. How's that? You yeah. can't make a whole movie about a middle-aged Alzheimer's patient fish, can you? Right. Can I mean, you? Like, that's what we thought, basically, as a kid. That, you know, we've got a fish that forgets everything. She's really annoying. She talked in a high, squeaky voice, and she can't remember shit. <laughs> you should call it Finding Revenue. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, and so 
because <coughs> people had said, um, like of all the, the Pixar movies, uh, I, if, I, if, I had, if I had to pick my favorite, I probably would have picked The Incredibles. Um, it's the Mine one about too. Super, you know, it's the one about superheroes. Some people argued that it had this Ayn Randian, you know, we are meant to stand out. We are not all the same. Uh, pretty much the most explicit denunciation of the everybody gets a trophy culture you'll ever see. Also um, very big on family, very big on family togetherness in the face of public criticism. When you can tell the criticism is wrong and the family is right. It's a very American movie. Hi, I'm Kim Kardashian. Fashion demands a hot body. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't have made that comparison. 12.36 p.m. is when Mickey White compared The Incredibles (laughs) to The Kardashians. And I believe, Mickey, you're the first person ever to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Kill me. I also believe i just snorted on air so yes, they got a giggle did. snort out of me on that one too so so there have been rumors and, and talk that someday they're going to do a sequel of the incredibles and everybody's like oh my god it was so good you can imagine this world of you know superheroes and kind of this you know kind of retro early 60s look to it and you know now the whole family is superheroes and and the the, the pace other like i said other than those toy story ones the 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 pixar sequels have all been and here's the thing, it's not even they're you know, you could argue about whether or not they're bad. I think most people would argue would, would agree that they're not great, that they're okay, and that the bar had been set so high by Pixar year after year, particularly in its first decade or so, um, that a mediocre sequel to to The Incredibles would just feel like a giant disappointment. It will be a disappointment. Just set yourself low bar. And then when you go in, this is what I do when I really want to like a movie and I'm unsure that I will. I set myself up to believe it's going to be terrible. If it is anything better than terrible, then I'm pleased. I suppose you're – yeah, you know what? Um, I I suppose I could could agree with that. Uh, We talked a couple weeks ago about the uh, Angry Birds movie. Uh, Ended up taking the boys to that one. Um, having exceptionally low expectations, it was okay. Uh, See? A couple of jokes going over their uh, heads. There's the little green pigs have a book called Fifty Shades of Green. Uh, um, you know, little little <laughs> things like that. They didn't. Oh, by the thing is, I would enjoy it. Yeah, I also want to thank the movie theater for putting a Ghostbusters trailer ahead of this film. <laughs> uh, l- listeners are familiar with our take on this movie, so I won't rehash it. But I just felt like at this point, by the way, with a, you know an audience full of kids and and you know little kids getting to having Sony shove this down their throats <laughs> uh, at the Angry Birds movie. Way to go, Sony! Should call it Angry go. Parents. There you go. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we will head it looking ahead to the Trivial Tuesday contest right after this. Any place, any time is a good time for Coke. Only Coca-Cola gives you that refreshing new feeling. Refreshing new feeling. Refreshing new feeling. Coca-Cola is bright and lively. Coca-Cola has more zest. Coca's a lot more zest living. Refreshing zest only. Refreshing new feeling, refreshing new feeling, refreshing new feeling. Coca-Cola gives you that refreshing new feeling. Coca-Cola, refreshes this. Now, back to the Jim and Mickey Show. 
I'm sure a lot of people think this is just some radio shtick. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White, and we are almost towards the end of our program. But before we do that, we got to take a look at this week's Trivial Tuesday contest. And Mickey, I thought it was a really good one. Uh, you asked people what's on their bucket list. Yes, I was actually really, um, as I said last week, I had forgotten, but I had a really good topic. This was my topic. And our listeners were fantastic. Um, I don't know. Um, part of this was inspired by a, a story that I had seen that they're giving away a night where you can spend the night on a barrier reef. And it's a two-bedroom hotel room all out on the water. And so it kind of got me thinking about things that I would want to do because, you know, I totally want to do that. Um, and so I asked our listeners, and they came up with some really great things. One of the people who love to listen and also critique our show, of course, is Jazz Shaw. Mm -hmm. And one of the suggestions he made was that he wants to travel through England and visit all the cheese shops and the cheese towns. Monty Python sketch. There you go. <laughs> and um, and then Raider Ute, um, who is Tyler, of course, he created an entire list of things. But it ultimately came down to he really wanted to travel. Um, we have several people that suggested, you know, different types of travel. Um, Kevin wants to visit his ancestral homes. Uh, Travis wanted to go skydiving. Skydiving was really really popular amongst a lot of our listeners, believe it or not, as something that was on their bucket list, something they wanted to do. Uh, we had uh, one of our listeners wanted to go to the Kentucky Derby, another to the World Cup. Nick and NC just wants to travel everywhere. Um, and Trent, our friend Trent, who, you know, he actually put on his list because he's already met you and participated in a Cinderella ping pong tournament with you. <laughs> he would like to meet me. And then hunt in Africa and fly fish in Alaska. And, uh, again, we had several people who were really interested in doing the skydiving thing. Um, some, mostly travel was what came up. And, of course, for me, I have a list a mile long of places that I want to go and things I want to do. So it was fascinating. And I actually got some new ideas from our listeners. So I'm going to pose the question to you guys. Um, to give me something, because I know Dave is basically, you know, Indiana Jones with a gun. My bucket list and was over like 10 years ago. Now I just need to die. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice, Dave. Can you give me one more? <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, you want me? Bucket yeah. list. <clears throat> Let's see. You know, honestly, I haven't thought about it in those terms, and I really can't. I've done everything I want to do. I'll have to think about it and get back to you. Dave's my hero. Jim? Um, really good question. Uh, besides my mention of a, a visiting a free Cuba uh, earlier in this uh, in this podcast, <laughs> I, travel strikes me as uh, probably the, at you. Yeah, the, the most uh, the most obvious one. Uh, I, I'm well traveled in some parts of the world, uh, but certain continents are just you know I, I've not been to really any place in Asia. Uh, the only place I've been in Africa uh, was Egypt, and uh, I concur with the assessment of Tears from the Sun. God left Africa a long time ago. <laughs> um, and uh, South America is largely unknown to me. So, uh, you know, large, large chunks of the globe still need to see them with my own eyes. Absolutely. And I'm looking forward to the day when we have our travel sponsor on here where we can actually give away trips for our listeners and uh, and our fans and friends who have really done an amazing job of sharing this podcast and listening and joining in the T-Jams family. And we really do appreciate you guys 
guys all for listening and for sharing. Jim and Dave and I could not do this without you guys every week. We're now reaching thousands of people a week with this podcast, and it's because of you guys. And thank you so much. I am Mickey White. He is Jim Garrity. You can find us every week here at soundcloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show or at facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. You've been listening to the one, the only Jim and Mickey. Show. Oh my God, you guys, this has been the best day ever. And it didn't cost us a dime. So